Lord, we again thank you for your holy word that you've entrusted to us. We pray that we would take it more seriously, treat it for the treasure that it is, that we might come to it to study it fervently, attentively, and obediently. Help us tonight to understand the nature of our Christian faith, not simply as an academic subject to us, but, Lord, that we might more fully emulate those fathers of the faith of whom we read in this chapter of your word. We thank you that you've delivered it to us. We pray that it would be beneficial for us as we study this day. Do forgive us for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. If we cover that much tonight, we'll be doing great. <clears throat> now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. For by it the elders had witness borne to them. And thus far God's word. Last week we began to study the nature of belief or faith in order that we would appreciate the specific focus, the emphasis that this author brings us in Hebrews 11.1, 1, one of the most famous verses of the Bible, this definition of faith. But as I told you, it's not intended to be systematic. This is a lopsided definition of faith. Nothing wrong with that. He's emphasizing a, an aspect of a very complex mental state that we call belief or faith, and the emphasis is for our spiritual good. There's nothing at all uh, wrong. But I proposed last week that if we look more systematically at what it is to believe something and then what it is to have faith in something, that we could appreciate even more what Hebrews 11.1 is trying to communicate to us. <clears throat> and toward that end, I summarized some of the work that I did in my doctoral dissertation on the nature of belief, which is to say the nature of faith, and I've uh, passed that out to you. And I'm just going to read um, the introductory part for review purposes tonight, real quickly, in the next five minutes. And then we'll continue to go through the biblical passages to see if this is, in fact, a biblical understanding of the nature of faith and belief. I would like to believe that it is. Okay, I began last week by pointing out that knowledge entails faith. To know something, I will use P for a proposition, the letter P. So, to know P entails, logically, that you believe P. You can't know something to be true unless you also believe it. Of course, there are many kinds of belief of which people are capable, and many interesting aspects of belief, just as belief itself. Sometimes we speak of a mental event as a belief, while other times thinking of belief as a disposition to act in certain ways. So right now, I'm believing that it's Thursday evening. That's the mental event that took place in my head. It's also the case that while I was believing that it's Thursday, that I believed that Saturday follows Friday. But I wasn't thinking about that at the time. And so, even though I wasn't thinking of it, I still believed it, meaning it was a disposition within me to act in certain ways. For instance, to expect a calendar have Saturday after Friday, or to answer the question in that way, or whatever it may be. In the same way that this window has a disposition to break, even when it's not breaking, so a person has a belief even when they're not thinking about it. Beliefs are held with differing degrees of confidence, we said. Some beliefs are suspicions, others are opinions, 
some are convictions. Some beliefs are spontaneous. I think about the bird chirping outside. I believe the bird's chirping. I may not even you know, pay much attention to it. Whereas uh, others are derived by mental investigation and inference. Last week I said that some beliefs are subject to our voluntary control. That is, I focus on the evidence in a certain way to bring about a belief or to remove a belief from myself, while not all seem to be subject to our voluntary control. It's hard to look out the window when it's raining and believe that it's sunshiny. Some beliefs are subject to voluntary control, while not all seem to be so. Some beliefs are given personal avowal. That is, I stop and think about it and say, yes, I believe that. Some are held without much reflection at all. Some beliefs have numerous or important consequences. Is the president guilty of certain crimes against the people of this country? Whereas others are relatively insignificant. How many bumpers have dings in them in Newport Beach tonight? Some beliefs are normative. We govern our lives by those beliefs. Some are even incorrigible. That is, we won't give them up no matter what. Some are maintained only by concentrated effort. Some beliefs are irrational. I told you philosophers often fall down in trying to understand the nature of faith because they want to construct a system where everybody acts rationally, but that isn't human nature, so we have to uh, realize that some beliefs are held inconsistently. Some are irrational beliefs. In all of these cases, however, we're still dealing with what is legitimately called belief, whether it's spontaneous, whether it comes through investigation, whether it's significant, insignificant, whether it's a mental event, whether it's a disposition, whether it's a suspicion, whether it's a conviction, all of those are varieties of belief. Now, attempting to take this diversity into account, we might characterize belief as a positive cognitive attitude toward a proposition, an action-guiding mental state on which a person relies, whether intermittently or continuously, in his theoretical inferences or practical actions and plans. And I asked you to memorize that last week, didn't I? Are we ready for today's quiz? Can we put this down and I'll say that now? Let's uh, look at the different aspects of this characterization briefly. <coughs> the mental states or cognitive attitudes, which we call a person's beliefs, are distinguished from each other by the propositions which are their intended objects. What makes one belief different from another is what it is you're believing. Belief is, in distinction from merely entertaining a thought or a hypothesis, a positive attitude toward a proposition, meaning that one relies on that proposition, whether self-consciously, as when you assent to it or not, you rely on it in guiding your actions. And those actions can be mental actions, like drawing an inference from the proposition, or verbal actions, asserting something to be the case, or bodily actions, uh, purchasing an item at the store because you believe it's the best one. The actions consequent upon a belief are not always of all three kinds, though. People have been known to outwardly behave in terms of belief which is too painful for them to verbally assert. Indeed, even what people verbally assert to be their beliefs is subject to deception and error. For instance, your friends may recognize in light of your social behavior the hollowness of your avowal of racial equality, even when you do not suspect yourself of insincerity in that. 
it should be further noted that a belief need not always be manifesting itself. The mental state can often be quiescent, and even its active mode may be merely periodic, depending upon the person's changing circumstances and other attitudes or desires. However, the mental state's causal capacity to affect mental, verbal, or bodily activity is not dependent upon some outside stimulus, as a behaviorist might suggest, but can be exercised at will by the person who believes the proposition in question. So that by way of review. I know that's a mouthful. It took most of the hour last week, and so we won't stop now to discuss it further since we've done most of that in preparation for tonight. But we will continue by looking at each of these aspects of our characterization from a biblical standpoint. The various aspects of this conception of belief are reflected in the biblical witness about the nature of belief or faith. Knowledge is not separated from belief. And we looked at how knowledge and belief are interchangeable terms in Titus 1 1, 2 John 4 16, 5, verse 5 and 20. We saw that belief is a positive attitude. In Hebrews 11 1, it's called assurance, it's called conviction. We see that in James 1 6 as well. And we noticed that it's a positive attitude toward propositions which have been heard or have been read. And we looked at verses in Romans 10.14 and John 5.24, Acts 24.14, 1 Corinthians 1.21, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Now, I think this is about where we left off last week, so let's pick up our lesson tonight right here. Belief is treated as a datable event. That is to say, it's something that takes place at a certain time. And so, um, Ellery, would you please uh, begin for us looking up Romans 13:11, and then Joe, yours will be 1 Thessalonians 2:13, and then Howard back here, Romans 15:13, and we'll keep going down. If you can anticipate what your verse is going to be, you can have it looked up, and we'll save a little time together tonight. Okay, belief is treated as a datable event, while um. We're looking for that verse. Let me just remind you what we've seen so far. Knowledge and belief are interchangeable. They're not in separate categories. Belief, according to the Bible, is a positive mental attitude, and it's a positive attitude toward things that can be said or things that can be read. Okay, and now that positive attitude takes place sometimes as a datable event in our minds. Romans 13:11. Notice that, then when we believed. Our salvation is, that is the day of Christ's return and the consummation of all things, is closer now than the day when we believed. Notice belief is a dateable thing. Something took place, a mental event took place that is called belief here. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 And for this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it, not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Okay, you notice this? You believe because you accepted the word of God when we preached it to you. 
Okay, so there's an event that took place. Belief is treated as an event mind. But it's also a state of mind. Belief isn't just something that takes place. So you say, right now, I'm believing on Jesus. Belief is a disposition. It's a state of mind. Romans 15, 13. You notice that? This is a characteristic of your life, that you're filled with hope and you know the joy of believing and so forth. It's a disposition that characterizes you throughout your life. Colossians 1.23 If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every living creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, and ye administer. If you continue in the faith, notice it's an ongoing state of mind, faith. You continue in it. It's not just something that you do when you hear the gospel. You believe it. That took place on Thursday evening, we could say. But even when you're not thinking about it, you continue in the faith, don't you? Okay. And then 1 Timothy 1.5. Sincere faith, like love and a good conscience, is something that characterizes a person's life, not just events in a person's mind. Okay, now, this state of mind that we are calling faith, which is datable and yet is a disposition that continues, which is a positive attitude towards something that is heard, like the gospel, the message of the gospel, this state of mind may be temporary. The Bible teaches that faith is sometimes temporary. Luke 8, 13. And those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time, and temptation fall away. Notice that? They believe for a while, and yet at a time of temptation, they fall away. They believe for a while. I know this is shaking some of you for a moment, but... Hang in there. The Bible will comfort you in a moment. Hebrews 10.35 and 38-39. to So you notice that? There are those who shrink back from faith. There are some who throw away their confidence. And so we have to say that the state of mind called belief, even when it comes to religious matters, may be temporary. There are people who believe for a while. Or that state of mind may be enduring, and maybe one that goes on to the end of their life. What's it depend on? What makes the difference? You want to know this because you may be saying, how do I know whether my state of faith my state of mind called faith is an enduring faith, whether it's just a temporary thing. Well, this depends upon whether the faith comes from God and is grounded in Him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Where does faith come from when it's saving faith? It's a gift. God gives it. Some people whoop up faith within themselves, but it can't last. That's why the parable says, and then when temptation and tribulation comes, 
it goes just as fast as it came because it wasn't faith given by God. It was just social convenience. It was something that made you feel good for a time. It was your own human invention. It was not God's gift to you. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 5. Joe? Notice that our faith stands not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is one of the things that worries me about certain schools of apologetics, to be very honest with you. They sometimes suggest that our Christian faith must stand in the wisdom of men. We must convince ourselves with arguments that would embarrass any unbeliever that the right use of reason would lead you to be a Christian. Well, I believe the right use of reason would lead you to be a Christian. I also believe that unbelievers don't have the ability to use reason rightly. And so there's more to that story. But we need to understand that when we become Christians, it's not because we've satisfied ourselves on our own autonomous standards that God's worth believing. And you stop and think about that's a horrendous attitude where you put God on trial and finally say, well, God, you've passed my test magna cum laude. I'll believe in you. I mean, God laughs in heaven at that attitude. God says, you're the one who's on trial, not me. I give you the opportunity to believe this so that your life will make sense and you'll have hope of eternal reward and then you put me on trial? No, our faith does not stand in the wisdom of men and our proving God to ourselves. It stands what? In the power of God. God in his own power grants us faith. Elric? Can we then make two sharply defined categories Yes, I, you see, we have two kinds of enduring faith that you've just brought up. Enduring faith in God and enduring faith in your country. God grants the one. Of course, God grants all of it in one sense. But in terms of the, the positive blessing, God grants the faith in himself, which we're incapable of, but patriotism we're quite capable of in unbelief or in belief, in our regenerate or unregenerate state. So we wouldn't call that a saving gift of God. Okay, some more verses that talk about faith. Faith loyalty to God. When people say that, the whole book on the study of human loyalty right. cannot say that that treaty with Jesus would apply to Scripture. I, no, I, it's not that true things cannot be said in such a treatise that deals with loyalty in general, but there is a special category of loyalty or reliance or trust or faith which is possible only by God's gift. Faith in other sorts of things, faith in your parents, your country, what have you, loyalty to other causes or groups is possible to the unregenerate and to the regenerate. But loyalty to God is only possible by his gift. Isn't, isn't part of the issue here because you have to ask Bible absolutely between genuine loyalty to God's standards, to God and his standards, because they are his standards and any other standards whatsoever? 
that's part of it, that there's a cre- creature-creator distinction that has to be honored. And so when God speaks, his word is in a category different from all others. And um, for instance, and this is what we're going to learn from our study tonight, I'll jump to one of my conclusions. When God speaks, there's no questioning of it. But when anyone else speaks, even your most beloved pastor or your, you know, the president you'd bow down to and kiss his feet, it makes no difference. When anyone else speaks, it's always subject to verification and question. But when God speaks, never is. That, well, when God speaks, that is his word, right. Okay, First uh, Thessalonians 2.13 again. God works in you who believe. You notice that? The credit goes to God for this belief, that you receive this as his word, not the word of men. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, the love of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation, to sanctification, to spirit, and belief of the truth. That's a great verse for your friends who doubt the doctrine of predestination. God chose you from the beginning. And he chose you to be saved through what? And belief of the truth. And that comes from him. He chose you. He gave you that faith. All right. Um, 1 Peter 1, verses 4 and 5. Did I skip one? Thank you. 2 Timothy 1, 12. I know whom I have believed, and he will guard me until that day. First Peter 1, 4 and 5. Who provides this salvation by faith? God does. And then um, verse 9. And so God gives us the faith that brings the salvation of our souls. And so it is true that some people have a momentary faith in what the Bible says. Sometimes this is called historic faith. They'll believe that Jesus was a historical figure who did the things that are in the Bible. But as far as whether they have believed with uh, that fullness of conviction where they are willing to give their lives to the Lord and live by his word, it's not going to happen unless God gives it to them as a gift. And then it's enduring. Yes? Uh, how do you mean it when you say, when God speaks, there's no question? Because um, I'm thinking of skeptics, uh, temporary skeptics, uh, Moses and Jason. Um, when God speaks and men are unwilling to affirm what he says or do what he tells them to do, then they're not living in faith. It's just that simple. Now, that isn't to say that men of faith don't have inconsistencies. I think maybe that's what you're concerned about, that all of us would say, God, I believe you and I want to do what you're saying. But, you see, believers act in an unbelieving way. Don't they, Marilyn? 
Don't you know some believers that sometimes in aspects of their lives live like they're not trusting God? You know anybody like that? <laughs> okay. Well, you and me, we both are. I think all of us are. And so Moses and Jason and others might have had problems like that, but we want to say of them that they were not living in faith at that point. They were living contrary to their faith. Yeah. What about when King James Version of the Bible that's a different question. Now you're talking about translations and versions. So those always have to be verified. So from our perspective in this day and age, we have to still be critical even what we read in the Bible. Yes, I haven't. But you see, that's not the subject for our study. I'm not reflecting on that. What I am saying, though, is that when you recognize something as the Word of God, then you have to say it's beyond question. Okay, when men live in faith, their belief intermittently comes to expression whenever a relevant occasion uh, requires it. And here's a couple of examples. Abraham and Moses, as we see them in Hebrews 11, verses 8 and 9, 17, 23, and 28. And uh, where are we? Pat. Pardon me, Pat. When he was called, you notice, he obeyed. By faith, he obeyed when he was called. Go ahead. And he went out, not knowing where he was to go. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. When he was tested. Notice his faith came to expression. Pardon me, Pat. Go ahead. Twenty-three to twenty-eight. By faith, Moses, when he was born. When he was what? Born. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I just find that really interesting. Read on. By faith. Go ahead. occasions, whether it's Abraham when he's living, uh, leaving Ur of the Chaldees, uh, whether he has to sacrifice his own son, whether it's Moses' parents who want to save their child, or Moses at the time of the Passover, or whatever it may be, there are specific occasions where faith comes to expression. I wish one of the things that we could all understand, and that I could understand better, is that we have occasions in our lives when faith is called for. We tend to expect things to fall into place, and when they don't, we kind of our Christian life just gets kind of shaky, and we wonder what's going on. 
And what, shouldn't we say, yes, but by faith when you're called to go out to a new place, by faith when you have to lose one of your children, by faith when you have to give up the pleasures of the world, by faith we obey God. And I'm afraid we, we tend to think of faith as coming to expression for, for those heroes back then. These are great Sunday school stories, and we hold up these men. But you see, they're held up so that you, in your day-to-day experience, when you're at work or when you're having family problems or financial problems, and say, God, I'm going to live by faith. By faith, when this is called for, I'm going to obey you. James 1, verses 2 and 3. Mark? Notice that's the testing of your faith when trials come, specific occasions. And yet there is another sense in which their faith is continuously, continuously, pardon me, operative in life. Faith comes to expression at specific points, and yet faith is operative throughout our lives too. First uh, Timothy six twelve. Fight the good fight of faith. Our whole life is characterized as what? Fighting the fight of faith. Not just at particular times, but that's our whole life. And then 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have kept the faith. Okay. Uh, Hebrews 4, 1 to 11. God's rest. And when do we enter into God's rest, Willie? Uh, there's some <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. Have, have we pressed into God's rest yet? Or does he say there's yet remains a Sabbath rest? Okay, so it's done at the end of our lives, isn't it? And what he wants us to do is persevere to the end. 
so through faith we enter that means faith is characteristic of our lives. Um, Hebrews 10, 38-39. We don't shrink back to destruction, but we live by faith. That doesn't mean this moment here and that moment there. It means we live continuously by faith. And so, faith comes to expression at particular times, and yet it's a disposition that characterizes our lives. Here's another thing of interest. Belief carries different degrees of confidence. Not all of us who have faith have it with the same degree of confidence. Mark 9.24 Remember that verse? He said, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Don't have some kind of false, artificial concept of faith that you either have it or you don't. You know, there are people who have faith and yet they recognize it's mixed with unbelief at the very same time. I'm shaky about this. I'm really not sure you're going to bring me through this. Lord, help my unbelief. I do believe you, and yet you know that I'm weak in this. Um, Luke 17.5. Increase our faith? Well, it has to be something subject to degrees or it wouldn't make no sense to say increase it. Isn't that right? Romans 4, faith on the one hand expression and strong in faith in the other. So, have I made my point? Faith is subject to degrees of confidence, isn't it? And it expresses itself in various ways. You can see faith operative in one's mental inferences. Hebrews 11.3 Now you notice in this case, we're not going out and doing something. We're not going out and making the worlds. We're drawing an inference about the worlds. And it's drawn by faith. Romans 4, verses 20 and 21. John? He drew an inference about the character of God based on his faith. But faith comes to expression in our verbal remarks as well as in our mental behavior. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. Elric? Mm-hmm. 
And so one must confess with the mouth as well as believe in the heart. Verbal behavior follows upon faith. Second Corinthians 4.13 But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak. I believe, therefore I spoke. Verbal behavior follows upon faith. And of course, practical behavior follows upon faith too. For the sake of time, I'm going to start skipping a few of these, and so you're going to have to hang a little loose there on the ones you're going to look up. James 2, 14 to 20 is a long passage, but what's it say? Can you summarize that for us, Howard? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to 12 and write the 20. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and then the next one is James 2, 14 to 20. What does the prophet man? What does the prophet what does the problem of the going man say if he has faith and has no works and faith is in him? But what thou know of being man that faith works without works is dead? That's right. That's right. Faith without works, without the behavior that goes with faith, is dead faith. It's worthless. And then, of course, Hebrews 11, as you can see, here's the lesson when I pick up Hebrews again. There's going to be a whole lesson about this aspect of it. That faith leads to practical behavior if it really is genuine faith. Uh, Luke 8.15 is an example. behavior follows upon that faith that they have. Okay, finally, to conclude this uh, long study in, in detail of the biblical concept of faith, we must note there's a sense in which belief is not simply a passive response to external stimuli, but belief is exercised at will. God can call on you to exercise faith. That tells you something about its voluntary character. It's not just passive, it's something active as well. Because God morally enjoins faith upon men, both at its inception and in its continuing operation. Let's just take a few illustrations here. Mark 1.15. Notice that's a command. Repent and believe. God says, exercise faith. Believe. John 20, verse 27. He doesn't say just wait for this passage, you know, thing to take place. He act, he says actively exercise faith. Yeah. 
right. Well, I, I can even top that. In Matthew 28, verse 17, the Bible says that the disciples, in the presence of the resurrected Lord, still doubted. Look it up sometime. It says right there before the Great Commission, it says, but some doubted. They were standing right there with the risen Christ, and they still said, I just can't believe this. Acts 16.31. Does it say, do you find yourself believing? Has it happened to you? No, he says, believe, I command you, believe. Okay, not only does God morally enjoin belief upon men at its inception, but he calls on us to continue to exercise faith, continuing operation of faith. 1 John 3.23 This is his commandment that we should live like that. Ephesians 6, verse 16. The shield of faith doesn't refer to the beginning of your Christian experience. It refers to the continuing operation of your Christian experience. The shield of faith, that's the way you live. Colossians 1, 23. you to do. Continue acting faithfully toward me. And one more, Colossians 1.23. Oh, that was it? 2.7. Two seven, thank you. Abounding in it. Okay. He could. So walk in him. Yes. The only reason I didn't is because in this study I wanted to make sure the word faith appeared in the text. But you're exactly right. In the same way that you receive Christ, that's faith. Now you must walk in faith toward him. Okay. I understand this is not usually the way we do Bible study, and I know this has been a more technical study than we ordinarily have, but I hope that it's been a really enriching one to you. I'm going to do some summary work in the, na in the last ten minutes here. But hold on to these studies. You may want to go over this nine, ten times on your own. You know, Pat tells me she couldn't get to sleep last week. She kept thinking about all this. Because the subject of faith, contrary to TV evangelists, is not as simple or simplistic an issue as it's sometimes made to be. You've got to take account of all these different things, whether it's God-given faith, whether it's spontaneous, whether it's faith as a disposition or as a mental event, whether it's... Uh, faith in this degree of confidence or that degree of confidence. There are all these different aspects, a very rich study that we can have from God's Word to understand it. But the reason I've done this is because now we can come back to Hebrews 11.1 1 and see what the author is really trying to get across to us. He says you need to understand that Christian faith, the kind of faith that saves a person, has this special characteristic. The emphasis really lies here. 
There may be people who will believe certain propositions from the Bible. They may have a low degree of confidence, but they don't live obediently in terms of them. There may be people who will believe it if you can prove it to them. But Christian faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. For by it the elders had witness born to them, or if you will, by it God testified that they were approved. It's another way you could translate that. It, the word is a divine passive, it's called. It's in the passive indicating God's doing it. By it, they had testimony born to them that God approves them by faith. Now, to summarize, I'd like to look at three passages of Scripture. This one here is going to be the last one we look at as well. Please turn tape over at this time. You want to know what faith is, what saving Christian faith is? Here are the things you want to stress. First of all, Romans, the fourth chapter. Look at the father of the faithful Abraham. Romans 4. You should also memorize these things. That is to say, when you want to study faith, you remember Romans 4. Okay. Father, the father of the faith, Abraham. James 2. The nature of living faith. And then we're going to look at Hebrews 11. But first of all, Romans 4. Verse 11. And Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while he was in uncircumcision, that he might become the father of all them that believe, though they be in uncircumcision, that righteousness might be reckoned unto them. And the father of circumcision to them who are not only of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had in uncircumcision. Well, get this much out of that. We're supposed to imitate, we're supposed to walk in the steps of Abraham. We don't have a lot of snow around here, but if you've been in the snow, and it's been two or three feet deep, you know what it is to have someone walk ahead of you in it, and you try to put your feet in their steps, you know. Walk in the steps of Abraham. He's the father of the faithful. If you live like Abraham, you are his children. That's the point. So what kind of faith did Abraham have? For not through the law was the promise to Abraham or to his seed that he should be heir of the world, but through the righteousness of faith. The righteousness of faith. For if they that are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is made of none effect. For the law works wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there transgression. For this cause it is of faith, that it may be according to grace, to the end that the promise may be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that which is also of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, the father of many nations have I made thee, before him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead, and calls the things that are not as though they were. Who? Who? in hope, believed against hope, to the end that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall thy seed be. And without being weakened in faith, he considered his own body now as good as dead, he being a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, looking unto the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong through faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what he had promised he was able to perform. Therefore was reckoned unto him for righteousness. What is the nature of Abraham's faith? 
God comes and says to a hundred-year-old man with a barren wife, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a, a mighty seed. Abraham goes, yeah, sure. You talked to any gynecologist lately? Have you checked with the scientists of this world, the people who know about these things? And yet faith for Abraham meant in hope, believing what? Against hope. When all human expectation would say, Zippo, Abraham, you're not going to have any babies. He believed that God was able to do what he said. Being fully assured that God was able to perform what he promised, he obeyed him. That's faith. Trusting the word of God. Look at verse 18. Who in hope believed against hope, to the end he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken. When God speaks, you say, Lord, I believe it. That's faith. Believing God at his own say-so. Believing him against what the world might say. Abraham didn't believe he'd have a baby because he got a few scientific studies and they said, well, there's an outside chance, Abraham, just maybe this will fall into place and you'll have a baby. Abraham, against hope, believed according to what had been spoken. He was fully assured that if God said it, that settled it. Okay. Now, I don't know what group it comes from. I've heard that it's a cultic group. I'm not sure. But, you know, I see a bumper sticker every once in a while that says, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, whatever the context, that sentiment is true. If God says it, we believe it, and that's the end of the matter. Regardless of what the world says, regardless of the social stigma, regardless of the scientific absurdity of it, if God says it, it's true. Now, if you have that kind of reliance, when God speaks, it can be believed. I'll follow it. Then James 2 tells us that faith must be a living and active matter. James 2. Verse 14, What does it profit, my brothers, if a man say he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? This is a rhetorical question. What's the answer to it? Can a faith without works save a person? Of course not. And he gives some examples of uh, what, what profit is it if a person comes in and needs clothes to wear and you just give them this nice, you know, greeting and so forth. Verse 17, Even so, Faith, if it have not works, is dead in itself. True faith is living faith. It's active faith. There are people who have dead faith. Dead faith is the kind of faith that comes out the mouth. And that's it. But when God puts us to the test, we obey Him. Abraham was put to the test. Would he have a baby? By the way, that's an interesting example of Abraham believing God. But take it a step further. After, after God performed the miracle of letting Sarah have this child, Isaac, God later said, Abraham, sacrifice him. If you were Abraham, wouldn't you say, wait a minute, God, it took all these years, it was a real act of faith to have this baby, and now you want me to throw it away? God says, yes. Do you really trust me? Did you really think the promise would come through what I did or through what you did, Abraham? Sacrifice your son. And we're going to get this in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham believed, well, maybe God will raise the dead. But if he tells me to do it, I'll do it. Faith without works is dead. And it can't accomplish anything. Living faith. So faith believes against hope according to the word of God and it acts. It lives. 
And the third thing I want to get, and we can just squeeze this in, Hebrews 11, verse 2. For by it, by faith, the elders had witness born to them. It was in terms of their active life of faith that the men of old had God's divine approval. That's why we read of them in chapter 11 here. Because by faith they did this. By faith they did that. It's amazing to me. Chapter 11 doesn't say, by faith they believed certain things mentally. It says, by faith they went out and conquered. By faith they went out and acted. Faith is active living faith. And what you need to know is that God is not happy with anything that is not characterized by that kind of faith. Verse 6 of Hebrews 11 says, Without faith, it is impossible to be well-pleasing to him. There are some people who, out of timidity, will not steal something. Is their keeping the commandment not to steal pleasing to God in those circumstances? Mm -mm. There are some people out of a sense of their own personal dignity who will not violate certain moral standards. They want to feel clean about themselves. Is that obedience pleasing to God? No, it's not. That's the amazing thing. You can have the most self-righteous person in the world and they're not pleasing to God. Why? Because the only obedience and the only lifestyle that pleases God is one that looks to Him and His Word for your power. Without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to him. There is no good work performed by man that is pleasing to God if it does not stem from a heart of faith. And that's, why, that's one of the reasons I'm a Calvinist. I believe that there are good people out in the world. If you talk about civil goodness, you talk about you know uh, the kind of social floating curve that we use to evaluate. But here's this kind person who loves his children, helps old ladies across the street, what have you. Yeah, relatively speaking, on human terms, they're nice people. Before God, they are not pleasing to him because they do not help old ladies love their children or show kindness to dogs out of faith toward God. Without faith, it is impossible to be well-pleasing to him. Faith is believing God's word, even against what the world says. Faith is living and active, obeying what God says. And it's only that kind of living faith based on his word and authority that pleases him. Now, when we come back to the book of Hebrews in three months, Lord willing, we're going to start looking at a long series of examples of men of faith that we're supposed to emulate. Men that you'll notice believed the word of God when the world said it was impossible. Men who acted on that, who were faithful toward God in an in a behavioral, active sense. And for that reason, as the Bible says, God bore witness to them, that they were well-pleasing to him. Far better to be a person who does not have the respect of the world, who does not accomplish a lot and get a lot of money, get ahead or have a reputation. Far better to give up all of that and have God bear witness to you that that's what I love, a person who trusts me and is willing to obey me. It's a really old illustration, but it still is a meaningful one. You've probably seen people, high-wire acts, people can go across this you know, thin wire, walk it, 
They can take a wheelbarrow across it. Some people can get on a you know one-wheeled bike and put all sorts of things on their shoulders and carry people. It's, it's amazing to me. Some people do that without a net. Imagine a person who has gone up and has done all this stuff and has taken the net away. He's demonstrated his ability, his own self-confidence. He says, and he, he takes a wheelbarrow, takes it across the high wire, you know, and it's, let's say he has all this, you know, this load and weight in it. And you see him do it 20 times back and forth. He says, do you believe I can take you across in here? And you say, oh, I believe you can. I've seen you. And he says, okay, come on up, and I'll do it. And you say, nah, that's okay. I think I'll just stay here. Let's ask ourselves, do you really have faith that the man can take you across in the wheelbarrow if you say, oh, yeah, I'm sure you can do it, but do it with someone else? The life of the Christian is constantly a matter of saying, God, if you've said it, I believe you'll get the wheelbarrow across. I'm coming with you. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand the nature of our Christian faith, to appreciate the biblical testimony about it, the richness of it. Help us not to get confused in our own minds as we discuss it, to oversimplify it. But Father, above all, we pray that you would not just give us an academic understanding of the subject, but you'd give us a living embodiment of it. Help us to be men and women of faith. Help us to be like Abraham, who believed against hope because your word promised him something. Help us to be those who have living faith that obeys you, that shows by our good works that we do trust you. And Father, we do pray that the day would come when you would say to all of us, well done, good and faithful servants, because the faith that you granted to us as a gift has been found well-pleasing in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name.